prepared for the secular incursion this week of Halloween with all its uh, regalia, uh, children and candy and costumes of all sorts. Um, Charlie Brown's Great Pumpkin, if you hadn't seen it, it's already been on this week, and pumpkin spice, well, everything, even cereal these days. But we in the church don't think of Halloween as the great event this week, do we? In fact, All Hallows, we think of All Saints, right? All Hallows, All Saints. So this week on Tuesday is the Feast of All Saints for us Anglicans. And we focus on those saints above and saints below. And in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we've met many saints on our journey, haven't we? So I want to, to, uh, to turn with you one last time as we close the door on this sermon series and look at those saints from chapter 11. We've met Abraham and Sarah and Noah and Moses, journeying companions with us on the walk of faith with God. And today I want to focus on one more uh, message with regard to saints, and that is this. You've got your fill-in-the-blanks here today. One of the primary doctrines of the Protestant Reformation is called the perseverance of the saints. In other words, saints are durable. Saints are enduring. Saints are lasting. They stay steadfast in faith until the end. And there are three reasons that we stay fast as saints for God. And I'm going to go over those in this sermon today. We persevere in Jesus, all of us. We must persevere in Jesus. Secondly, we persevere with others along the journey. That's why we've been doing Hebrews 11. And thirdly, we persevere by looking toward the end. So look at chapter 11, verse 29. It says, by faith the people. In other words, the faithful people of God. Those are the saints. And if you're a believer in this church today, you are one of those. You are a saint. He goes on to say that by faith these people endured and crossed the Red Sea. By faith Rahab protected the Hebrew spies. By faith the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Any of those would be a great sermon. But we're going to jump on down today to verse 35. These saints... Some were tortured, it says. Verse 36, they were mocked and flogged and chained and imprisoned. Verse 37, they were stoned, sawed in two, and killed by the sword. And if you go on further, these saints were destitute, afflicted, mistreated. They wandered in deserts and were holed up in caves. Now, if you're doing a first century advertising campaign for enduring to the end in Jesus, this is probably not a good campaign slogan, right? This doesn't make you want to follow Jesus to the end. But for many of us, the greatest sense of persecution we'll ever find is having to get up on Sunday morning for church after a late night ball game Saturday night. These people knew it for real. They risk everything for God. So the question is, how do they persevere? How do they make it to the end? And how do we persevere today? Fill in the blank here. If you reduce the letter of Hebrews into one key theme, it would be endurance or perseverance. One of those. And in chapter 12, we see that happening. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1, is encouraging the saints. Read that. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us with endurance. 
Now, the Greek word for endurance there is hupo meno. Meno is the word that means stay put or stay steadfast or stay planted. Hupo, the prefix, is actually the same prefix in English that we get for hyper. In other words, he's encouraging the saints, you and me, to hyper stand fast in Jesus, hyper stay put in Jesus, so that when the storms of life come, here we go, hupo minnow means to plant your feet so strongly in those storms through faith that nothing can knock you off your feet. When the storm comes, the winds can't blow you down. When the waves hit you, they can't undercut your feet. When the rains come, they cannot wash away your home because you are hyper-standing in your faith in Jesus. But back to our question. How do we get to hyper-stand in Jesus? How do saints persevere? Well, of course, first and foremost, it's through faith in God. We've seen that in chapter 11. And for us, it means faith in Jesus, standing in Jesus. So the first point in this sermon is this. You're only durable when you stand in Jesus. That's it. The writer says in chapter 12, verse 1, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance that race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So how do we hyper-endure? We stand in Jesus. We look to Jesus We don't get weighted down by sin or the weightiness of this life, but we cling to Jesus. As the psalmist once said in Psalm 16, 8, he said, I have set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. We look to Jesus. So I endure when I am planted in the Lord. Write that down, when I'm planted in the Lord. So why is that so key? Why is that the first and foremost point of why we can persevere when we're in Jesus? Well, I love what the brilliant pastor, Tim Keller, said. He said this. He said, you are only as durable as the one you love the most. Only as durable as the one you love the most. If you set the Lord always before you, if you love him more than anything and more than anyone You can survive any storm. Whatever life throws at you, you can survive because he is durable. One woman in my parish in Conway lost her husband of 50 years. And she came to church a few times after that. And then I realized after about a month or so, she had stopped coming. So one day I I came by her house and said, honey, what's up? What's the deal? And she said, Father Tripp, She said, I came to church, and I remember the pew that we sat in, and it made me so sad. And I felt all this pain for the loss of my husband, and I don't want to be reminded of that. And then she concluded. She said, Father, my husband was everything to me. He was everything to me. And that made me sad, you know. I've known other men and women who've lost spouses of equal amounts of time, equal duration, and they somehow endured. They somehow continued to go forward. In spite of the pain, they began to rebuild their lives. It it was never going to be the same, but they continued to stay in Christ. They were able to hyperstand. Why? Because they loved Jesus above all things and above all people. They were able to endure. He was their primary value. 
He was the center of their lives, and that's, that meant they could move forward. I love what um, Tom Oden said. He teaches at Drew University, and a wonderful theologian. He said, anxiety becomes neurotically intensified to the d- degree that I have idolized finite values. Suppose my center of value is my health or my political party. Oops, that's a little too close for comfort, right? Or my sexual attraction or my financial security is the center of, my val- center value of my life. Any of these things, he says, when they become under threat, and they always will, and I think about them, I am shaken to the depths. The meaning of that is simple. If your center of value is anything other than Jesus, any finite thing, you're always going to live fearfully, worryingly, anxiously, because you're fearing that one thing will be taken away. Write this down. If your center of value is anything other than Jesus, you will always worry that that one thing or that one person will be taken away. That's why the writer of Hebrews in verse 2 says, Look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Only in him can we have endurance. Remember years ago, I was uh, camp chaplain at Camp Gravit, the Episcopal camp in South Carolina. And uh, remember a young boy named Todd came on the first day, and Todd was not very athletic. He wasn't really all that bright. He didn't make friends very easily. But he and his camp counselor had a connection He quickly loved Todd, and Todd loved him. And it was about midweek that they did the high ropes course, if you know what that is. I had my feet planted firmly on the ground because I'm a big chicken. I hated heights then. I hate heights now. But I observed Todd walking across this pole some 40 feet in the air with just one shaky cable to hold on to. He got about halfway across And then he did what everybody tells you not to do. He looked down. He was frozen in fear. Could not even take another step. For five minutes he is up there just trying to hold on. Then his counselor on the pedestal across the way looked at him. And he said, Todd, look at me. Look me in the eyes. He said, don't look up. And for goodness sake, don't look down. Look only at me. And that counselor, whom he loved and trusted, allowed him to to regain his strength and regain his balance. And And he took a step and then a second step and a third step. And he finally fell into the counselor's arms, the one whom he trusted and loved. In a similar way, the writer of Hebrews tells us today, look only to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is your founder and perfecter of your faith. Look only to him. And as Tim Keller said, you're only as durable as the one that you love the most. You see, somewhere along the way, every saint that we've talked about in chapter 11, they found God, faith in God to be the center, their supreme value, their ultimate and infinite value. And that allowed them to endure every storm that came their way. You see, when life throws stuff at you and your center is durable, you can survive the storm. So write this down. Endurance, durability, the perseverance of the saints only comes by way of fixing your eyes on that which endures. You see, life can throw whatever at you, and you're reminded that you are a child of God, 
You're an heir with Christ, joint heirs. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. Go ahead, life. Throw your best at me. I can endure because I'm in Jesus. The next point, you're only as durable as the saints around you. You're only durable when you have other saints. And I mentioned that African proverb several months ago. If you want to travel fast in life, go it alone. If you want to travel far in life, if you want to get to the end, travel with other people. Travel with others. Everybody needs brothers and sisters to walk with them. Traveling companions. That's why we've been doing chapter 11 of Hebrews. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. See what the writer says. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses is the church. That's you and me. Every believer here today, we're the bride of Christ. We are valued by God. And we should value the church. More so than just sporadic church attendance whenever we feel like it. Uh, We are the saints. We're here to pick one another up in prayer to bear one another's burdens when life gets really heavy and complicated. In other words, write this down. The church gives us traveling companions for the journey. For us to make it faithfully to the end, we need to travel together. We stand at that finish line, and we encourage, exhort, and inspire one another. We're like Todd's counselor at the end. When when things get really shaky in life, we're like, look at me, look at me. You're going to make this. You're going to get to the end. We're here to encourage one another. A great cloud of witnesses allow you to hyper-stand in Jesus and make it to the end of the journey. I love what C.S. Lewis once wrote in The Weight of Glory. He said this, he said, there are no ordinary people in the world. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Think about that. You're not mortals. Either we're, we're immortal up or immortal down, but you've never talked to a mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, they're all mortal. And their life to ours is like the life of a gnat, the life of a gnat. We're saints. We endure because we're in Christ. We love Christ above all things and in all things. And true saints are a cloud of witnesses that will endure into eternity together. We're not mortals. We'll live together in Christ forever. Lastly. Not only do we travel with our eyes fixed on Jesus, with the cloud of witnesses who are in Christ, the church, but thirdly, you are only as durable as the end goal you have in mind. Only as durable as the end of the race. You've got to keep your eyes on the finish line, folks, to endure. Look at chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endure the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus knew the pain and the shame that was coming, but he fixed his eyes not on the immediate pain and shame, but on the glories yet to come, the joys set before him. And that's our pattern. When he saw the cross, Jesus did not allow himself to be fixated on the pain and the struggle of the, of the situation, Instead, he was able to endure the cross because of the joys set before him. He endured because he knew that on the other side of the cross was resurrection, was Easter Sunday, was ascension into the glory to sit at the right hand of the Father. He kept his eyes on the joys yet to come. 
And that's our pattern for surviving, persevering. Write this down. Saints should always remember that our destiny is heaven. And it's a reward so surpassingly great that it makes the troubles of this life puny when you put them side by side. Puny. You know, Paul went through a lot in his life. Romans chapter 8, he talks about that. This same sort of thing. He says, if we're children, then we're heirs with Christ in God. Co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. So that we might also be glorified with him. Now listen to this. He said, I consider that the present sufferings of this age are not even comparable to the glory that will be revealed to us in heaven. Not even comparable, my friends. Keep your eyes on the finish line, the prize, the joys yet to come. That's Christ's pattern. Now how would it change your life if you began to apply that to your life? How would it change you? I think it would change you, for one, if you're looking towards heaven as your goal, you would stop compromising for earthly values, and you would begin living by heavenly values. So so look at this. If we are living for eternity, we don't compromise our Christian values to gain something immediate or earthly, whether it be a raise, a relationship with somebody you really wanted to date for a very long time, or To get that perfect spouse, you don't compromise. Or to be well thought of by your peers and your co-workers, you don't compromise. Because we got eternal values. We look to the end. We look to the end. Our values are God's values. Our destiny is glory with Jesus, co-heirs with Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we keep that ever before us. Another way it affects us, let's bring it home. Ken Boa. Wonderful pastor has just written a, a great book, theologian, called Rewriting Your Broken Story, The Power of an Eternal Perspective. That's the perspective of saints. He says in that book, when you start to live with that eternal perspective, you see how fleeting this life is, how passing away, how shaky this life is, and you begin to live with eternal purposes. So he says it changes you in these four ways. An eternal perspective, when you're fixed on heaven, affects the roles of your life. In other words, you see yourself as a husband or a wife or a son or a grandfather or a grandmother from an eternal perspective, from God's values. He said it changes your vision for life. You begin to have different purposes and go in different directions because you're living with godly, eternal purposes. It begins to change the way you leverage your time during your day. It changes the way you leverage your money for eternal purposes. Boaz says it changes everything. He says it's like getting that x-ray and the doctor saying you've got terminal cancer. It's inoperable. So you don't know if you've got weeks or months to live, but by golly, you're going to make every day precious. Every day is going to mean something because you're preparing for eternity. That's what saints do. That's what an eternal purpose can do for you. It changes everything. And in fact, those saints of old, chapter 11, verse 6, they had that. Chapter 6, verse 6, it says, But as it is, they all desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them that city. 
they kept their eyes fixed on the goal, the greater prize. In verse 39, it says, those saints never got the prize on this side of heaven. The prize was on the other side of heaven. It says, all these saints, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And they didn't care. They were living for God in eternity. They kept their eyes on the goal. So write this down. None of these saints saw their end-time victory, but they learned to choose obedience to the eternal promises of God over this transitory world and what it could give them. That's what saints do. That's who we are. We live every day as though it's precious because we're preparing for eternity. I like what Tim McGraw said in his song, Live Like You Are Dying. That's what we do. He says, I loved deeper. He says, I spoke sweeter to people. I gave forgiveness that I've been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you're dying. My friends, of all the people in the world, the saints of the church have the ability to live like we are dying because we live with an eternal perspective. I hope you get that today. So keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because he's durable. Live authentic Christian lives with a great cloud of witnesses, the church. Not just lightly, but lift one another up. Pray for one another. Support one another. 